Today, we're speaking on the topic of science and wildlife ecology, which is not something you would normally associate with dyslexia. But this amazing lady has been doing some fascinating work, from counting koalas to catching rats to feeding birds. She's passionate about people's engagement with wildlife in their own back gardens and empowering people with the knowledge to use their garden as a habitat. I'd like to welcome to the show, Granje. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So how did you end up in the area of wildlife ecology and in particular coming from Ireland to Australia? Well, I was born wanting to work with wildlife. Like I started feeding birds when I was the age of four. It's always been in my blood. Um, I never wanted to be anything else. And I did my PhD. I eventually, you know, went through the system and I did my PhD on badgers and and its relationship to TB, which is cattle tuberculosis and how it transfers from animal to animal. So after working on badgers for three years, I was like, where in the world do, do badgers not exist? Because I was sick of looking at them. And I decided, Australia. Why not come to Australia? So we wanted to travel. We've all, myself and my partner have always travelled. So we decided to come to Australia. And 10 years later, we haven't looked back. Badgers. Yes. <laughs> Something we don't have in Australia. No. No. <laughs> no, that's why I chose it. I was sick of looking at them. <laughs> you have a lot of badgers in Ireland. Oh, yeah. And in the UK and over Europe. It, they kind of take the wombat's niche. So, you know, the mammal that burrows, lives in social groups, moves about the landscape and have adapted very well to farmlands. So they're actually doing quite well, but they do carry TB, tuberculosis, from cattle to badger. So it's mm. a wildlife animal conflict that I was involved in sol- solving. I remember seeing them when I lived in England, but I'd never really thought about them being in Ireland as well. Oh yeah, and in Europe, yeah. And, oh. and in France, yeah, all over the place. Wow, there you go. And so, yeah, they are similar then to the wombat. Yeah, yeah, right. and they, yeah, and they live on um, agricultural land, so a lot of farmers know them well. <laughs> know them well. <laughs> so you grew up um, in Ireland, and we. You, how old were you when you found out you were dyslexic? So I knew there was something up with me from day one because of a speech impediment I had. So and also I was left handed and I didn't reach all the milestones like kids should. Um, riding a bike was one of the biggest things for me and tying your shoelace. And again, being left handed and always just being so clumsy. Um, some people who are dyslexia are not always left handed, but some are. And I was one of the lucky ones who had that to complement my dyslexia. So it's very unbalanced, very uncoordinated and with a speech impediment and then going to school and just right off not passing and yeah we knew all along but because it was the 80s and the 90s it wasn't really properly diagnosed it was just oh it's just a spelling and writing problem you know that's all it is and I thought my speech was a whole different problem and with my speech I was told I was lazy and my speech would improve as I got older you know and it wasn't it was a speech impediment so yeah it, it I, I I always knew I had dyslexia. Because I was, um, I found out about you when I was reading the article in the conversation um, and it really did resonate with me a lot because in the article you talked about how in the workplace your grammar and spelling has really been an issue 
for you. So how did that story come about? How did you end up being interviewed for the conversation? So that was in the ABC article? Yeah. So how I got, um, in, why I wrote that article was because I turned 40 and that's a major, you know, birthday milestone. And I had dealt with dyslexic, dyslexia all my life and I got bullied a lot all all through my academic career and um, because of my dyslexia. So when I finished school, when I finished high, high school, I did a higher national diploma in wildlife management in an agricultural college. And that led me just out of sheer persistence and want into a second year zoology course. And out of that, then I went on and spent a year chasing a PhD till I got one. And um, I've just worked so hard and I've always wanted to be in academia because that's where you really, you know, that's where the knowledge is and a science we get to talk about what we're finding and I've always wanted to share that knowledge with people and it got to a point where I'm still being bullied over it, especially from other academics you know still the same remarks you know the spellings it's just just the repetitiveness of being 40 and still hearing the same bullying words I heard when I was 20 when I was 10 and it was just a case of I really you know I have been to my lowest point in academia trying to make a difference just trying to do something good that and just with the bullying I just can't take it anymore because you know if I it just can affect your mental health so bad it can bring you down a really dark road so you so I just got to a point where I needed to write it I just needed to put it out there and I just wanted to do it for myself and I was hoping maybe that article would affect one little person one of the little grania out there that wants to you know be a scientist but is dyslexic so yeah I got to that point where I just wanted to put my story out there knowing other academics would read it and just to, yeah, just to have the conversation that we can't bully people anymore. And in academia, bullying can be really significant. Well, I have to thank you for putting your story out there because I was inundated with people contacting me saying, please do a podcast wow. with this lady because wow. your story was so amazing and it touched so many hearts. And honestly, I had so many people contacting me saying, have you seen this article? Oh, so I was um, so excited when you agreed to come on the show to um, talk about your story um, because mental health issues it's huge within for people with dyslexia. I mean, we've had a lot of people come on the show and the show is about talking about all the successes that people with dyslexia have, but um, it's also talking about all the challenges we have because it's, for a lot of people, daily challenges. And um, so to be able to come on the show to talk about the struggles as well is really fantastic and for you to put that on paper and to open up about not just your own challenges but also what's happening in the world of academia I mean I'm just putting my toe in the water with starting my doctorate and I'm luckier that I'm in a really supportive environment with my supervisors so thank you for sharing on coming on the show my pleasure and I'm just so happy that people got something out of my journey because that's so important because when you know I would be going through it and it'd be like why am I still doing this why am I still trying you know why don't I stop because I was first diagnosed when properly it was when I was in England doing my degree and I remember I was in I think third year university and one of the lecturers caught on and England had moved up a bit where they were now actually had a psychology test that you could do to find out when you were dyslexic and I remember going into that um, exam and you know just being all happy thinking she's just going to say I'm a little bit dyslexic that's what you know was always a dirty secret you know I could never talk about it It was always like 
don't tell people you're dyslexic, hide it, hide it. You know, but you, but I couldn't hide it because it just is who I am because it affects so many parts of my life. And this struggle, struggle in academia have, has been incredibly difficult. It's not been easy. So don't think, oh, she can't be that bad if she's in, if she's in academia. No, I am. And it's a bloody struggle. And why am I still doing it? I don't know, but I'm still <laughs> fighting. But anyway, once I got diagnosed officially, um, I remember going in and just thinking it'll be fine. And I was asked to do all these exams. And one of the ones was a puzzle that you had to put the puzzle mm. back together. And I could not do it. And I remember just, you know, trying and my confidence just kept going lower and lower. I thought, oh God, why can't I do any of these? And the other one was um, saying like, said X, Y, eight, nine, three, say that back to me. And I couldn't. And by, you know, then, you know, when we were just finishing up the, the test, the psychologist said to me, so you're in Turgia University? And I said, yeah. And she goes, you should have never gotten this far. And I just, that blew the confidence out of me because it was just like, see, I should just give up. Everybody just tells me to give up. But I just, you know, wanted to keep going. So I came out of that exam, you know, she said, on a scale of one to ten. Because don't forget, dyslexia is a rainbow. It has different scales. It's got, you know, think about it as, you know, different shades of grey. And it, it just, to put it on a scale from one to ten, she says, you're a strong six. You shouldn't have gotten this far. And I just went out and I just thought, why am I doing it? But what kept me going was just the one want to make a difference in the world, to want to get people to look out their gardens and see birds and make a connection to wildlife because it's so important to mental health as well, especially in an urbanised world. It is so important to be able to connect, to be able to go outside and that's what on the website we talk about in our section on mental health is getting outside and reconnecting back to to nature and I work a lot in Aboriginal health and we talk about Aboriginal talk about getting back to country and being connected to land and it is so important and so it's fascinating that you ended up being working with the animals and yeah. with country yeah. and, and I've worked how with Aboriginals that would, and I, I was just felt so privileged by working with Aboriginals um, and I was out on that country and they gave me a black fella's name they called me Rain Girl because I kept bringing the rain with me but yeah <laughs> working with them and that connection to country and I know we can say it's superstitious does it even exist but I've really felt it I have felt the elders talking to you in the breeze like I really have I feel a huge connection to this country and because this country is built on a lot of immigrants we need to get those immigrants in more in touch with the nature they see around them so anyway I'm going off on a differing topic here but basically <laughs> it is my other passion <laughs> but basically yeah this is what I feel like my research is very applied it's, it was always with people working with people how important is it about disclosing dyslexia in the workplace for you and how do you think that's helped with your mental health? I think it's very important um, for especially throughout your life um, when you're in school, when you're in compulsive education, you're constantly surrounded by other kids and academia is so important at that stage because you're in school for the first time for you know five or six hours a day and kids with dyslexia in those classes even the littlest thing that's said to them by the teacher or by a classmate can really affect their confidence. And this happened with me because I couldn't really speak properly till I was 10. And I kept, my writing was, you know, forget about it. And, you know, my confidence was always very low. And that always put me in a position of being more of a victim and made me open up 
to getting bullied. And, you know, when I went to secondary school from the age of 13, 14 up to my leaving cert, um, I worked with a, with the, the absolute intelligent people in the class to try and, and, you know, help me get those marks. So why I did pass subjects and I had to drop Irish. So Irish is a subject we do still. And a lot of people, you know, would nearly be fluent in Irish. But I remember the day at the age of like 15, I was told I had to drop it because it was just going to hold me back. So I I dropped it. But I remember being really, really sad about that. Um, but this allowed me to do fewer subjects for my leaving cert. So by having fewer, I could really concentrate on them. And then um, I went and did a higher national diploma in wildlife management. And that was very applicable. I was using my hands a lot. We were out, you know, catching birds or out stalking there. And that really helps you build those skills. But trying to get it down on paper was always difficult. And there are learning supports for you. But I think the, the whole aspect of mental health is a constant erosion of your confidence. It's day in, day out. You don't even feel it anymore because it's just constantly there. You know, you can't write properly. You know, it, it, even write, filling out a questionnaire or filling out, you know, a form in a hospital can be dr- a drama because your spelling's just, you know, you don't know how to spell and you're embarrassed to say. So I just, I feel that it's very important to let I, I feel that at my at my stage I had to let people know I had dyslexia to put it out there so people just couldn't bully me anymore that look I didn't ask to be dyslexic I'm just trying to do the best I can for the world I don't want you know I, I, I really don't want to be dyslexic but that's how I am and one thing about being dyslexic is if you do leave school early and you go into a trade or you go into something that, where you're not dealing with numbers anymore or dealing with spellings your confidence can grow back but once you stay in academia it's constantly the spotlight is constantly on your spellings and your writing because academia is so much about getting those papers out there so much about getting the statistics but the reason I stay in academia is that often to be a science communicator and talk about your work talk about wildlife and get to be on the radio and share your stories so if you're constantly getting the light shone and your dyslexia can really erode your confidence but for me staying in academia was about being able to share my knowledge and that was so important to me and you know and a lot of scientists you know they think they can just talk and it's not it's all often very difficult to understand them. So part of what I wanted to do, because I, I big words scared the holy hell out of me. I can't use big words. I don't often, even in radio like this, I'm doing everything I can not to pronounce these words because I know I'll trip up. Um, but no, but, ha- but yeah, the, the, men- the mental health aspect of it is you just, yeah, I had to come out and say I was dyslexic just to stop just to stop the, the bullying and just to put it out there and so people can't use that excuse anymore. Did you feel better afterwards? I, I did with the amount of feedback I got back in terms of other people coming up to me and saying, you know, I'm dyslexic too. Your story resonated with me. Stories like, especially growing up, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, before computers, I remember going into school and we would have a spelling test and, you know, you'd be asked to learn your spellings and apparently you you just say the word three times, you spell it three times, you write down three times and that's it, you know. Mm. So of course I would do it. Never worked. So you'd go into school the next day, you'd do your spelling test and it was a case of everybody stands up in the in the room and you sit down as you get 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10 right, 7 out of 10 right and I'd be still standing. 6 out of 10 right, 5 and I'm still standing. Eventually the teacher's like, Ron, you just sit down. You know, and it, it then just been 
picked out as well and people yeah. known but at that stage I was just like you know how many at least I did better than yesterday got two right today you know and, and a lot of people found resonated with those kind of stories mm. of being in school and people just not really understanding what dyslexia is being told I was lazy especially around my speech impediment I was told I was lazy and it would get better as I get, got older so I grew up thinking I was lazy and it's not as a leading speech impediment but I grew up thinking I was lazy because I was labelled mm. and then with the whole spellings and being left handed and you know you just you it really does become you because so many of your aspects are affected by your dyslexia. What were people like in the workplace when you started talking about it? Um, How did they treat you? Well no everybody just says yeah that's fine no worries yeah. and that's it nothing no no would I hope not. Yeah I felt that when I've told people they say okay as if they understand until they start to see your work and then they start to get Yep. frustrated with yep. you because yes. then they really see what you actually mean because yep. they don't really understand yep. they don't and that's what I get with when I'm drafting up papers um, scientific papers it's a lot of that and it's just oh my god I told you I was dyslexic you said you were okay with this what's going on now yep. and that can be incredibly frustrating and at the age of 40 you know I got told I now at the, now I've got my PhD back in 2007 and I've been working in academia ever since I'm getting told by one of my co-authors last year you are now writing at the level of an honour student as in a fourth year undergrad student and I'm like well at least I'm that high now <laughs> you know at least that's something but with my with my um, because my work is always so applicable it, I'm always communicating and I'm always trying to write for blogs and papers that want you to write and s- talk in simple science to pass on knowledge so I feel that being dyslexic has helped me do that because I just have to break down other people's work so I can just understand it so then you're in a good space because you're writing for simple, yeah, simply for people to simply understand. Exactly, and that's where. So at the moment, I'm writing a book that's going to be called Aussie Bird, Aussie Bird Tales, and it's all about how birds are storytellers and how you're wor- you're walking around, you know, going from your house to the coffee shop on your way to the train. You're actually walking through a bird's territory, and those birds, like the ravens, the magpies, are always watching you, and they're always mm. learning from you, and they're identifying you, and they see, oh, she's late today, oh, here she. <laughs> on her way back and I got these amazing stories from the public about interacting with birds in their back garden so I'm bringing all the scientific information and their stories to make it into a really easy to read book but still highly you know scientific and the content still highly relevant but just written a lot more simply and you know I you know, people say, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, it's academia. You need to be at a certain standard. Why are you doing sharing, opening the gates? Don't you be doing that now. <laughs> what strategies have you put in to help you in the workplace? Um, so again, because I'm in academia and I'm writing the whole time, it's just rewriting, just doing things over and over again. Um, then having, unfortunately, you can only write, you can only reread your own work so many times and you mm. don't always get the mistakes. And spell check doesn't always work and all this and then you know eventually I do have to give it away the paper and then the paper I would give the paper to one of my co-authors and then the anxiety would start within me and you know waiting for it to get it back because I knew oh here we go it's going to come back with the insults you know surprise me don't insult me come on surprise (laughs) me nah so for me it's not it's going through the bullying so every time I give the paper I get it back with the insults the same old same old your stats aren't good enough why maths maths and maths is a big part of 
dyslexic especially mm. you know when the alphabet gets involved and m- maths you know it's just it, it's and I, I need help and I just need so much help you think well should I even be here you know people would argue well maybe you shouldn't be there maybe you know you're you're punching above your weight but then being dyslexic I just always wanted to do this and I refuse to let that stop me I'll instead I'll try to work with it but it's incredibly tiring because yeah it, it, it is not academia is not one of the nicest places let me be political one of the nicest places to work because it can be highly competitive and can be highly about getting all the papers into the best journals and I'm never going to do that being dyslexic but for me instead of getting my paper in some high impact high important journal I'd rather get it into a good blog where people are actually going to read it so already I'm not even on the same path yeah. as some of the other academics because they're all higher impact better I'm like no for me it's how many normal people read it yeah. so while I did dyslexia in academia I never became a chemist I never became you know I always worked with animals birds people and that, that's probably the biggest strategy but it's still academia it's still stats kill me today um, my grammar my paper quality well that's why I want to do my doctorate it's really to help people employers in the workplace treat the employees that have dyslexia better it's not so much to get a lot of academic papers written (laughs) against my supervisors (laughs) judgment I'm sure so how do you help um, maintain positive mental health because like we were talking before the podcast around the impact of dyslexia on mental health and how um, it really is a challenge to stay positive and you can have real lows yeah. um, because it's a daily battle. Even we are talking about being on Facebook and we are both saying, well, I'm not on Facebook because I don't want to put posts out there that have grammar and it's a brutal world, even just texting. I mean, things can be so mixed up just in a text. I can end up in a fight with um, people by sheer accident oh, because God. I've misread yeah, something. Yeah. And it's frustrating because you think, people, you already know I'm dyslexic. Yeah. Why would you think that yeah. I'd write that? Like, come on, yeah. you've known me for how many years? Or with a partner, come on, why would I write that? So um, even simple things like that can end up causing huge dramas. So how do you keep positive? And, I mean, you're clearly resilient and oh. persistent in what you love because you love it and you want to show that passion to the world. Yeah, it, I, and being resilient was part of being dyslexic being resilient was going in failing NGs no grades just failing and it just built your resistance because I just had a passion I just had this burning spark in my belly that said just stick with it it would be worth it you're on a path you're going to do something and I just always followed that path I knew I was dyslexic and I knew if I was going to work with something it's going to be something I bloody well love and that was the wildlife but the constant knockdowns of staying in academia has led to me having really bad anxiety and of course that has led to depression and I have been in academia for the last 20 years years you know I started when I was 19 even before that with school and it does it led to very bad anxiety for me and then eventually to depression and it got to the point where I just because I based so much of myself on my job and what I do that I would take it as a personal insult when somebody would write something negative back on the paper because I would be trying my best the amount of times I left university crying it's too hot but music a good song a good song like Frank Sinatra's High Hopes just you know there is high in 
high apple pie in the sky hopes I've got high hopes so it's that it's just keeping the faith and believing in yourself but it, I, I am I am on antidepressants it did get to that point where you know I had and I haven't speaking to counsellors since I was 19 you know I, it, it is it's very much affecting my mental health and I'm just sick of it and the thought of kids little kids going into school and having anxiety because I worried about the spelling test like that has just broken my heart I thought it was just me because I stayed in academia but once I started getting those emails from people I could see how many other people it affected and I just want today like with teachers it's just little things teachers you know it's just even if you think it's funny just a slight little comment about a bad spelling or saying someone's some something backwards that still affects those students they carry it with them thank you for sharing that because in actually on um, the website I talk a lot about accessing a counsellor or a psychologist and I've talked very openly about having a psychologist actually ever since I was diagnosed <laughs> with having dyslexia I've had a psychologist and I talk about it openly and my family laugh to laugh about it all the time <laughs> but it's um it's really really important and I was interviewed for um an article for New South Wales University the other day and one of them someone said what is a tip and I said get a psychologist have someone that you can debrief to yeah. about it because it is ongoing challenges is. all the time it so is. thank you for sharing that no, I just one more thing and um, before we finish up it's also moms and dads if your child is coming back and you know the dyslexia has really shown the writing's really bad try to focus on other good stuff as well such as you know good football player good at art really crafty maybe a great singer so you know while the kids you know until the age of 10 11 their, their lives are dominated by school learning to read learning to write learning to do maths yes please encourage your kids to stay in school that would be my other message it's stay in education don't let them beat you we can change the system together we just start the conversations so mum and dad's just lots of love to the kids on the things they can do well and the things they can't do well more of a neutral response than a negative response because dyslexia is never going to go away I thought by the time I'd be 40 I wouldn't be dyslexic anymore I honestly <laughs> thought the day I got my PhD the day I got an entrance to my PhD programme I thought that's it I don't have dyslexia anymore definitely don't have dyslexia anymore and one of the first reports I wrote was badges need efficacy to get over TB not vaccination I wanted to write the word vaccination but I just could not see the two differences but I was sure dyslexia was going to be gone by the time I got my PhD now it's with you forever so you know it's part of the child's development with dyslexia and you've got to get them to be resilient by encouraging them with things they're good at and just neutral response to things they're negative at because you know it's dyslexia you, you can't not you won't be able to become a good speller or really you know good at math it is a disability as much as I would love to break the glass scene and just fly through it and overcome it it's always there acceptance and I've always fought it maybe at 40 and finding acceptance it is always there and you're right it is about acceptance we're both well I'm nearly 40 and yeah. it is it is actually about um Acceptance, because yeah. it is a disability. It is, and unfortunately, because it's a hidden disability, yes. it's a harder one to accept. Yes. Because yes. and know. it's such a, it's such a, um, such a shade. So so many colours, colours in dyslexia because of different scales of it. The other thing I read that was really interesting was, um, in in teachers and that if they experience someone who has dyslexia, and they get to know that that person has dyslexia and works with them, they get more compassionate towards people with dyslexia, and therefore. I, 
educators when they find other people with dyslexia are more compassionate and are easily able to cope. So as dyslexic people, we do make an impact on people. And, you know, by dealing with one dyslexic person does help, does teach these non-dyslexic people how to deal with us a bit better. And those skills can be transferable. Yeah, they can, because one in 10 of us is dyslexic. So there's a lot of us out yes. there. I mean, ain't going nowhere. No, we sure aren't. <laughs> We're going to be more and more visible. Yes, that's one thing about us dyslexics. Yeah, because there's more and more of us advocating like you. So thank you so much for coming no, on the show my today. My pleasure. It's been it's an been, absolute pleasure. It's been amazing to hear your story and all the wonderful work you're doing. Thank Not you. just with birds, but for advocating and for speaking out and um, showing all the great things that you've done, but also that, you know, there are challenges. But oh, there is. There's, there is. There's ways of managing it's those just challenges. just sheer persistence. Just keep going. Work for what you want. So thank you. Thank you. And hopefully we can talk to you again another time. I would love to. If you'd like to hear more about Granya's inspirational work, the conversation article she wrote, My Dyslexic Perspective on Academia, head to the Dear Dyslexic website to find out more at deardyslexic.com. Also, if you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all the work that we are doing at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there's anything you've heard today that you've found distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue, 1300 224636 or Lifeline 13 114. Thanks so much for joining us today and until next time, bye for now. Uh.